Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Hello everyone and welcome back to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. Today we're airing live from CHRW 94.9 FM. I'm joined by my co-host Gina. How are you today, Gina? I'm very well. How are you, Tyson? I'm not doing too bad. I just realized I didn't introduce myself. I'm Tyson, the host today. So thanks, everybody, for tuning back in. Um, today, we're joined by Jordan Van Dyke. Uh, Jordan, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. And um, what do you do, Jordan? Uh, I'm a master's student in the computer science department. Okay, awesome. So, so what specifically do you do in computer science? Uh, I look at cryptocurrencies and graphs, mostly. Um, so graph as a... A mathematical context, not as a bar graph as you would think in Excel or something. Uh, and what I'm, I'm trying to look is for just uh, exploratory research into uh, what we can, information we can glean from the transactions that are occurring within a cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrencies being like Bitcoin, Dogecoin, these kind of things, right? Correct. They're, oh. uh, they're, they're a currency that um, uses uh, encryption to do a proof-of-work concept so that there's, it's completely decentralized, no central bank that can be like, oh, I'm going to flood the market with, you know, $10 million or $10 billion or whatever. Awesome. So um, one major question that comes to my head right away is, is there any sort of um, regulatory body for these uh, types of currency? Are, so are they even considered currency? Well, that's, that's the real question. I guess, like, the big banks don't want to consider them currency at all, but... Um... They obviously have a vested interest in it not being considered currency, but realistically, anything that can be traded for any actual, you know, finite object can be considered a currency. And uh, the first pizza bought with bitcoins was somewhere upwards of ten thousand bitcoins, which would be an absurd amount of money in today's <laughs> uh, today's prices. But uh, that was what first allowed it to have a, an actual value, and since then, it's gone up and down like any other currency would. Do you know the uh, the current trading price of a single Bitcoin, just even roughly? Uh, I, a few weeks ago, it was still around 300. I think it's about 263 at the moment. Okay, so you can get um, parts of a Bitcoin then. You can oh, get, yes, you know, of course. a tenth or a hundred. So the, the lowest um, piece that you can trade is actually called a Satoshi, which is the, uh, the person who wrote the paper, which they have no idea who this guy is. They wrote it under a pseudonym, Nakamura Satoshi, and... Uh, they named the smallest piece after him, and it's one, I believe right now, it's one billionth of a Bitcoin is the smallest that you can trade. Wow. So that's, what, like a thousandth of a cent? About that, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So specifically, you analyze the graphs that come from transaction histories. Correct. With these yeah. cryptocurrencies. Um I want to ask about the graphs, but I don't want to go too deep. I am a math geek, so I know more about the graphs. Um have you been able to glean any information from them? We have basic information right now. Nothing that's jumped out as being, oh, that's incredibly interesting. Um, but I guess with any sort of exploratory research, it, most of the times you're, you're, you're kind of looking for that, that black sheep, something that stands out that you didn't expect. So I guess if everything goes exactly how I expected, I just have to dig deeper and deeper until I find something that's more interesting. Uh, so what drew you to these cryptocurrencies? Um. The computer science backgrounds with the cryptocurrency is actually incredibly interesting. There's so many algorithms and things that have to work behind the scenes, like all the networks, all the mining networks. 
the uh, encryption standard itself, like whether or not it can be broken or not. Um, also, the fact that I find our current bank system to be very antiquated. It's very strange to me, like that somebody selling and bundling together uh, mortgages can accidentally collapse the entire U.S. economy, for example, which with a cryptocurrency would never truly happen. Awesome. So what are your plans um, after you finish up with your master's? PhD, or are you going to try to get right into the job market? Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's a million Bitcoin, not <laughs> True, true. I, I'm actually... I'm not entirely sure. I have leaned towards considering doing a PhD. And to be quite honest, I think it'll be more um, be determined on how the rest of my research goes. If it goes really well, and I think that there is more that I can look for, or perhaps I find something else that I could roll into a PhD, then I would continue on that way. Um, otherwise, I'd probably look for a job somewhere. Okay, so you just get right into the computing game, mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft or Apple or one of these guys. Microsoft is one that I would love to work for. I have a couple friends that work there, and uh, it seems like a great place to work. So, so I have a couple questions regarding bitcoins. Sure. Um, so, where do these bitcoins come from, and how can we get our hands on a bitcoin? Okay, so if you personally wanted to get your hands on one right now, you'd have to go to an exchange. So, what you would do with the or have somebody transfer you one directly. So we do it in exchanges. You would then pay Canadian dollars, um, and you would have your Bitcoin address, and they would transfer you a Bitcoin. You would transfer them whatever the price in Canadian dollars is in. Um, you can technically mine coins as well, but in today's day and age, with someone just getting into Bitcoins now, it's not it's not really feasible. And how mining it works is you it's a proof of work concept. So you basically have to continuously crack these mathematical codes that become more and more and more difficult to crack. Um, when Bitcoins first came out, you could do it with just your home computer. And then it blew up to having to have multiple graphics cards. And then people started making chips on, like, specifically only made for mining Bitcoins. And then they had warehouses of those chips and so on and so forth. So the, the amount of hash power that's actually being put into just mining the Bitcoins has gone up at an exponential rate. Um, the way that it's set up is that a block, which is how is its transaction ledger, as long as a block is not being solved more than every 10 minutes, then the difficulty of the Bitcoin will stay the same. If it starts being solved faster than that, they increase what's called the nonce, which is how many zeros in front of this um, long string of random characters has to be determined before the block is considered solved. I have a question to follow up on that. So basically it's trying to almost uh, attempt to tie inflation to Moore's law then. Correct, yes. And... Um, as most people who study computer science then will know that Moore's Law is planning to or is going to be evening out probably in the next two decades or so. Now, do you, like, mathematically, could you see, like, what what would be the future of mining at that point? Or do you think, like, then you'd end up with, like, well, bit, deflation bit, or something like that? Bitcoins is interesting because uh, right from the get-go, we already knew how many Bitcoins were going. The way that the, uh, the model of Bitcoins is set up is there's only going to be 21 billion or million bitcoins in total circulation once it's fully mined at that point the miners will then take a small fee from every transaction that occurs so right now uh, a transaction fee doesn't you don't have to push it through and most miners will push your transaction to the bitcoin blockchain regardless of whether or not you choose to give them a transaction fee in the future however the entire reason for mining will be that they can collect the fees 
So like the fees will then go back into the system that can be then mined out or what you... the, the fees will then be transferred to whoever solved the block. And most of the block solvers are large pools of people. So they would collect all the fees and then transfer them among their pools of whoever was adding the most hash power to it. So where it is right now is when you solve a block, the system actually awards you a a block reward. It started at 50 bitcoins. It's now down to 25. It will half again around 2018, I think, or 2016, depending on how fast the hash power goes up to 12.5. And then from again, it'll get halved again until eventually there are no more bitcoins left to be mined. And that'll probably happen before we end up with, um, what's the term, like the quantum issue with CPU power oh, yes. and such like that. that that's a, Moore's Law itself is an interesting thing because Intel is always saying, oh, we're not sure if we can make things smaller. And they were saying that at 90 nanometers, and then they went to 45 and 22 and 13. And I think they have some working ones at 6 or 7 now, which is pretty crazy if you consider how small that actually is compared to uh, a red blood cell even. So if there is a set number of Bitcoins that can be mined, if they've completely been mined um, in the future, for example, would their worth go up? Yes. And so because of that, the amount, the fractional portion of the Bitcoin that you can then trade would become larger in the sense that right now we can trade one billionth of a Bitcoin. It would then become slightly uh, larger, slightly smaller amounts so that you could trade a smaller and smaller amounts so that you're not trading away like, you know, $10,000 worth of something in one shot. Yeah, it's, it's called deflation. It happens with, it's the opposite of what happens with currency today. Like, um, you know, if you hear your grandmother speak and say that, you know, you could go to the movies with the bus and, and popcorn for a quarter in like 1937, and now that would be like a $30 journey. It's uh, the opposite. So, like, the Bitcoins are going to become more and more valuable as more and more transactions are used by the exact same amount of currency that's static. So, yeah, as you said, like, um, it'll be like the pennies becoming more more useful as time moves along. Precisely. So, um, one major question that comes to mind is, uh, given the lack of regulation um, around this currency, there must be a huge amount of people using it for illegal illegal purposes like i i know i heard about silk road like what could you tell me about silk road about silk road itself or about whether or not bitcoins are used for illegal purposes how about just uh, some interesting case studies of where it's been used because i mean the argentina example is really cool as well yeah there have been situations with, with argentina and um with china example where people are transferring their money from their country's currency into bitcoins essentially to shelter it from the banks of their country uh taking percentages off of it um and as for Silk Road, I mean, Dread Pirate Roberts just recently has been uh, gone through the whole court proceedings and I think is upwards of 60 years of, or whatever the maximum they considered, so many life sentences of jail based on the fact that he allowed this market. Um, and, and he didn't create the market saying, everyone come here and trade drugs and, you know, hitmen and stuff like that. He created a free market where being like, you can trade whatever you want on here. And, well, there are no other markets for things like that, so people tended to trade drugs and etc i'm sure there are a ton of you know drug cartels that use bitcoin but there are also a ton of drug cartels that use a lot of other things so just because something's being used for something doesn't inherently make it evil yeah that that brings to mind the whole um the manhattan project is what i'm looking for when they were first starting is it manhattan project yes when they were first starting to come up with the idea for nuclear energy immediately they thought um 
it can be used for evil, but it can be used for good. An, an idea isn't inherently one way or the other. Exactly. It depends on the application the per, the, the specific person wants to use it for. Exactly. Know? So the uh, are the transactions being used in any particular sectors today? Well, that's the catch. Is um, Bitcoin is completely anonymous. So the only the only transaction that you can actually tell exactly what they were being used for is if you knew both of the pu- the public addresses. So let's say I'm you know, myself and I publish that my address is whatever. It's a 160-bit string. And Tyson here, he publishes that. And then he somebody notices that our two addresses had an exchange of, you know, 25 bitcoins or something. That's the only information they can ever glean. Now, if I had another address and I never told anyone what the public version of that is, I could then buy something or trade bitcoins to another address. And all you can see is the money transferring hands. You can't actually see who it's being transferred to. Or from. Only it's from an address. So this is the crypto part of the cryptocurrency. Correct. Right? Yeah. So what um, what bit encryption does it use, just out of curiosity? Um, it's using SHA-256. So In English, it, please. Oh, <laughs> 200, 256 bits, a bit being either a one or a zero. Um, how can I... Uh, I guess that that's a really hard concept to explain i guess if you don't have a little bit of background in math um it's it's like a, a one way function so it's it's really easy to go one direction to create the encrypted product it's incredibly difficult to go the other direction isn't it uh, doesn't it come down to the difference between um exponentiation and logarithms yes exactly yeah so it's easy to raise 2 to the 4 but it's hard to figure out um what log 4 of 2 is well that's a bad example but it's it's yeah. easy to raise two to the ten thousand, but it's hard to figure out what log base two of ten thousand is quickly. Yeah, I, I remember hearing computers have a very hard time doing that kind of mathematics, and that's why there's yeah there's uh, no like good all model. sorts of encryption uses that like a, that's like a, what banks and stuff use. But then also, I remember there's an upset because people are talking about um, qubits can solve these extremely quickly. So the idea <laughs> the idea with quantum bits. It, it's not really a huge issue. It's funny because when quantum became even an idea and that we were going to have quantum computers, <laughs> uh, the people doing crypto research had already solved the problem. And they're like, okay, so let's say it was used to be O to the 7th or something to solve something, big O to the 7th. Um, now they'll just make it big O to the 8th. And then so because quantum can only do everything all at once, you're only you're only basically, you just need to increase the complexity by one exponent to make it just as safe as it was before. Yeah. And okay. one order of magnitude in terms of exponentiation really doesn't change much, but it makes everything on the breaking the code side of it, like, almost infinitely more difficult. Yeah. Like, right now, with that encryption scheme, um, and every computer in the world, I remember reading somewhere that it'd take longer than the life of Earth. Like Correct. the current life of yep. Earth to crack uh, 128, or, sorry, a 256-bit encryption. Yes. So, so do, to just continue on with that, then, is it also because it's uh, backed up by this Bitcoin organization that's kind of organizing? Well, it, like it, it um, it's it's not exactly a fiat currency, like a like a government issued um, currency, but it's like a like the idea of like a, what what's like maybe this is like my non new currency thinking, but usually uh, currency needs to be backed up by something. Like right now, money is backed up by the um, kind of the Faith stock in market, a way, yeah. and like stocks and like the the GDP of the country that the money is coming from. In the past, it used to be because 
the state and the banks actually had like masses of gold and silver. Uh, so what's like um, what's backing up Bitcoin's value? I think I think that's a very interesting question. That's always the big, biggest complaint. People would be like, well, it's not really backed up by anything. Well, our fiat currency is really not backed up by anything tangible anymore either. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer is it's really not backed up by anything like most currencies today. I guess you could argue that it's backed up by the hash rate and that people are spending this amount of computer resources just to keep the network online. And so that gives an incentive for its price to at least be even to how much hashing power people are actually using. So that's just upgrading the equipment to do it. The electricity costs, the electricity costs, the electricity costs are definitely prohibitive. Um, That's the major complaint you hear about people building mining rigs is how the heck do I get it so that it's... I'm not essentially having electrical costs that are much more than the amount of value that I'm gaining from mining the currency itself, um, which, depending on the country you're from or what you have access to, becomes uh, a major issue. But I think, like with the first pizza that was bought with bitcoins, is what really started giving it value. Basically, you have a bunch of something and you say, well, I'll trade you this if you give me this. And somebody says, okay. Um, I think there's a thought experiment that people have put into practice where they say you start with a paperclip and what can you trade up to? And there's these, you know, incredulous stories of people trading up to cars and things like that. They trade a paperclip for a pencil and you trade the pencil for a pen, trade the pen for something slightly better. And then eventually you can get up to these larger and larger objects. So really, like to say if it's backed up by anything um, as being a problem isn't necessarily the case. How do you think use of Bitcoins would affect the economy that's that's like the billion yeah question (laughs) that's probably like i mean i'm a computer scientist so like i like to play with a lot of the math and the algorithms and stuff behind it it's a very hard question for me to answer because i'm not i'm not an economist um from what i've seen it's really affected it it seems like it could be a little bit more stable you don't have situations where well i mean greek Greece, I guess right now, is an interesting example where they could technically bounce back their economy if they weren't in euros because they could just flood their own currency onto the market. But now that's not a pro- they can't do that. Um, whereas with cryptocurrencies, it's not you can't suddenly create you know so many millions of bitcoins. It just it's it's a formula. It has to be slowly solved over time. Yeah. So like uh, regular governments say if we don't have enough money to cover certain costs or we don't have the ability to um, do certain things economically, they'll just flood the currency. They'll just make more dollars, which will make every dollar less valuable, but it kind of shifts the percentage of money that everybody owns. And so it's a way to kind of create more money. And it does, um, this is the kind of stuff um, that prevented the depression or that got us, like these are kind of measures that came in after the depression because money being strictly limited was one of the reasons why governments like were not able to fund their own projects and they fell apart um, in the depression. And so if you had a world which was entirely reliant on Bitcoin, that, that, that this is where I get nervous is because it's, it's again, like a very limited currency. And so a government doesn't have that flexibility. And that would mean that they're um, They would be very strictly limited in the things that they could do especially in economic hard times, which means that if they default, a country would just go bankrupt and then they would, there'd just be no government anymore. They wouldn't have the money to think anything up. And like this, this is the kind of problems that the depression uh, would happen in the depression. So, so I can see it as like a between countries currency that's used like by businesses or individuals, especially people move from country to country a lot. But as like 
you know, um, like if we're going to be doing all of our transactions in Bitcoins, that could be dangerous. So I'm just curious how far, um, so you said there's some debate about whether Bitcoin is a currency or not. Mm-hmm. Um, how close to being a currency is it? And what I mean by that is, are there people who are employed and get paid in Bitcoin? Are there um, online stores readily available where you can go and buy whatever you want in well, Bitcoin? Microsoft, for example, allows you to buy Xbox Gold with Bitcoins, um, which is actually surprising that they beat Google to it. But um, I want to say it's CNN or NBC. They had a report where a guy went and he bought 400 or $500 worth of Bitcoin and he tried to live for an entire month on just Bitcoin in downtown New York. And it's not quite possible yet, but the fact that most of the people even listening to this really don't even know what Bitcoins are, that he was even able to mostly do it is... Uh, a good sign. Yeah. So what do you mean mostly? What um, limitations did he experience? There, so he'd have to search around for a place to buy a coffee, whereas like right now you just go to any Tim Hortons if you're in Canada or whatever. So he'd have to go find a place that actually accepted Bitcoins. A lot of places he would go into, do you accept Bitcoins? They'd be like, we don't even know what that is. He found a couple. There was one bar that was really strange They where they the minimum purchase with a Bitcoin was like $50 American or something. Um. And his explanation for it was really shoddy. You'd have to watch it to, to understand. Well, he'll go into why the explanation is shoddy too, but um, there's a lot of smaller mon pod variety stores and that that prefer Bitcoins because they don't get screwed with uh, visa bills and, and the banks taking the money off of the transactions. As long as they, at the end of the day, cash out their Bitcoins into U.S. dollars, they know that that money is now securely in their pockets. So if... Say for the sake of argument, I'm living in New York, and there's one of these mom and pop's convenience stores, and I want to go and buy, I don't know, say $10 or $15 worth of stuff. Will state taxes be applied to my Bitcoin if I'm per- choosing to purchase in Bitcoin? Well, that's, that's a really interesting question because it becomes difficult. I think what most of them are doing is they're applying the taxes onto the Bitcoins, and then they're transferring the taxes from the purchase when they've transferred it back to America into American currency to... Okay, so they're taxing the purchase in Bitcoins, converting the Bitcoins to U.S. dollars, and so what, then forwarding the tax well, on to well, whoever. What they'll doing is they'll put the, the whole purchase through, have the taxes on it, take whatever that is in USD, convert it to its current Bitcoin price as of that second, have you pay with Bitcoins, prove that you're not trying to double spend them, and then they'll, at the end of the day, transfer those from their Bitcoin accounts into U.S. currency. And another question I add on that. So Bitcoin's not alone. We talked a little bit uh, before the show about things like Dogecoins, and there's like a, there's a few uh, con- competitors. And I'm wondering why is like why is there like these competition like these competitions are are they noticeably different in different ways? And like, well, there is uh, there is a few differences. So Bitcoin became extremely hard for the normal user to mine because it relied on ASIC cards and and things of the sort or larger and larger warehouses. Some of the cryptocurrencies use a different type of encryption uh, scheme called script, or which is kind of based on some... I won't go into the details on that. And the idea is that they can change it so it becomes incredibly difficult to create a chip that will constantly mine for you as they can use only GPUs to do it. And using GPUs to do it means that myself or Tyson could set up a mining machine to actually have it so it's even more distributed than it currently is with Bitcoins. Um, Dogecoin is an interesting one because what originally 
was reported to be a bug in that it didn't have a hard limit like Bitcoins do, where eventually you won't be able to mine more out. Um, it actually will just constantly have them go into the system. And some people like that because it sounds cool when you're like, oh, I'm going to give you 5,000 Dogecoin, whereas opposed to saying, I'm going to give you 0.000001 of a Bitcoin. Um, for some reason, I don't know. I'm People like whole numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that if you just ma uh, made names for those breakdowns. Yeah, whereas... Well, you said what the smallest The Bitcoin smallest is always called a Satoshi. Yeah. Satoshi, yeah. So... If there's so there's a potentially an infinite number of Dogecoins, then Correct. by that reasoning, so the same kind of thing could happen where the market floods with Dogecoin, but the, but the and thing they all is, become worthless, right? Except for the fact that the way that the the cryptocurrencies work is that there's no way to flood the market. Someone would have to essentially be holding on to some astronomical amount of hash power and flood it into the Dogecoin system in one day for that to actually happen. Otherwise, the system will naturally increase the difficulty of solving a block with the current amount of hash power. So is it, it's the same kind of um, 10 minutes. If a block yep. is solved in less than 10 minutes, 10 minutes, we make it harder. Correct. Okay. And you said years ago that this was possible to do. Like, how long ago should I have been starting to try to mine Bitcoins? 2009. Darn. <laughs> Forever ago in computer time. Forever ago. Well, that's too bad. Um, so are there any other, like... One of the questions I wrote on my sheet was, can you make me money? So um, will these uh, new currencies allow people to make money in terms of like trading and things like that? Well, there definitely is a lack of, uh, like with stocks, you can have options and things like that on top of that. There, there's absolutely nothing with Bitcoin for that. So that's an untapped market. Um, the exchanges are always a big one. I'm sure you've heard of uh, Mount Gox, even though it was originally supposed to stand for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange, which got turned into um, a Bitcoin exchange. And they had actually, so when that one crashed, everyone's like, oh, that's the problem. Bitcoin's not safe. Well, no, they had actually implemented the protocol incorrectly. So the protocol for Bitcoin itself was fine. It was just that they did it wrong and they suffered the consequences for it, which unfortunately was their exchange crashing. But there is a, you know, a lot of different things that can be done in the future. People are talking about what are their ways to have contracts within Bitcoin. So, like, if you don't fulfill something that you can prove without a third party that that person did or didn't fulfill their their options and then cancel the the transaction or or so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's very fast compared to most other currencies, which is very nice. Uh, you can transfer things within seconds and know that that's in your account. It cannot leave your account. No one can touch your account unless you give them the private key. Um, but that's one of the issues where for the normal person, they are not going to necessarily hold their private key that well, which could be a problem because if somebody gets a hold of your private key for all intents and purposes, they are the owner of that Bitcoin address and they can do whatever they want. Interesting. Well, uh, this has been eye opening. I have to say, <laughs> like I really should have had more computing power in 2009. Like, yeah. Why did I have a crap? But it does show that you can technically make money by doing math problems. <laughs> you just have to do really, really hard ones. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thanks so much, Jordan, for coming on the show and telling us about the uh, wonderful world of Bitcoin. It's been a very enlightening episode. Oh, and thanks, everybody, me. for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back live on CHRW 94.9 uh, Western Radio here in two weeks. But our podcast will be next week as well. So keep tuning in, and we'll see you all later. That's all for this week. If you want to send us some feedback, or if you want to come on the show yourself, 
email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Be sure to hook us up on social media. On Twitter, we're at Gradcast Radio, and look up Gradcast Radio also on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, the podcast is located at gradcast.podbean.com, and it's on iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a review? It really helps us out. We'll see you guys next week. 